This morning, I'm going to ask a very simple question, I suppose. How do you deal with pain? We oftentimes don't like to talk about pain. We don't like to think about it. If you're like most men, you don't like to be in pain. Sometimes us men can be the biggest babies when it comes to pain. I don't know. But I'm speaking more of the trials, if you will, that come your way. With situations that are anything but ideal, how do you handle it? I mean, you spend much time on Facebook, and it seems to make life look really easy, doesn't it? One long vacation, and work is great, and friends are great, family's great, everything's great. Or is it? We come to church, and we say, happy Sabbath, but perhaps for you, maybe this morning, maybe another time, it's been a stretch for you to say happy Sabbath. Because on any given day, it may not be that for you. I know in this church, many have lost spouses just very recently, and they're mourning that deep loss of their best friend. In fact, today marks the third Sabbath in a row that on Sabbath afternoon, we have a memorial service for somebody in our congregation, and we have still two more on the calendar to come. I know Elizabeth's uncle, Jim Vollmer, he's watching his wife as she continues to come close to dying. In fact, we thought three weeks ago that this was the, the end. We made a rush visit over. Her breathing was very labored the Stokes, the whole thing. But she rallied. And uh, then she goes down again, and then she rallies again. You know how this can go. In fact, here's a picture of them. Jimmy there described the situation like a bouncing ball. It keeps bouncing back, but not quite as high as the last time. Some of you know exactly what that's like. And she is confused at times, sometimes not as much, experiences some pain. I know this past week, there was some seizure activity. She actually vomited at one point. I mean, it's a challenging thing to watch somebody that you love and care about so deeply, yet at the same time feel so helpless to really offer much of any help. I guess that's why they call health the great equalizer, because there's very little that can be done about it. Also, my sister-in-law and her husband, Bob and Catherine Rank, were members here. Many of you know them. I spoke to both of them, and they gave me permission to share. But their preemie has been in the NICU for, I believe it's three weeks now. We'll remain there for the next three months that's how premature this child is. And for any of you that have gone through anything like that, you know this means multiple trips to the hospital every day. And Catherine has three little ones at home that also need attention and feeding and all the rest. The situation is rather overwhelming. And there's constant ups and downs. Sometimes little Joshua Paul, sometimes he's doing well, sometimes not as well. He has to be intubated from time to time, which is just allowing him to breathe, a tube that just brings the air down into his lungs. Sometimes they take that out. He does well for a while, and then it has to go back. About a week ago, they got the report that there was bleeding on the brain, signs of a stroke. And so that sent them whirling. Then we have learned that sometimes at this young age, they can absorb that and be fine. And other times, they can have lifelong impacts one of the challenges is you don't know at this point in the game which it will be until this child grows and develops. And so the pain is real as they hold one another, as they weep into the night. And I imagine we could go on and on. There's no shortage of pain in this world, is there? There's plenty of uncertainty and heartache to go around. And I imagine we could pass the mic, but we're not going to do that this morning. But it brings us back, if you will. We've been going through talking about Paul. And at this point, he's still Saul, but we'll look at some of the writings where he was Paul. Anyway, it gets a little confusing, but you know who we're talking about. Paul, a man of grace and grit. And we've been looking at some stories chronologically, but this morning we're going to look more at an aspect of how Paul viewed life. 
Because the reality was that a day rarely passed in his Christian experience that he did not experience intense pain or suffering or pressure. But thankful for us, he bears his soul with us in the scriptures and lets the unedited truth flow. And so we're going to delve into that topic this morning. The message today is entitled, Content in Everything. Sermon number seven in this series on Paul. Content in everything. Is that possible? Do you ever, like me, find that extremely challenging? Or you may even just plainly say that's impossible. As we jump into this topic of pain and uncertainty, I invite you to open your Bibles. I hope you brought your Bibles this morning. We're going to be turning to 2 Corinthians. And we're going to begin in chapter 1. And we're going to be looking through a lot of Scripture verses today. I don't make apologies for that. I believe God's Word is living and active. It's powerful. It's instruction for daily living. And so we want to see what the Word has to say to us this morning. But we're going to stay in 2 Corinthians all the way through. And we're going to kind of just march our way through this book a little bit, grabbing bits and pieces along the way. But we're starting here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4. And I read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all, what does it say? Comfort. Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's an interesting thing. Specific pain enables us to comfort others specifically. Perhaps you've lost a spouse. Perhaps you've been close to someone that's gone through Alzheimer's. Maybe you know what it's like to hear the diagnosis. You have cancer. Maybe you've been through chemo or radiation. Perhaps you've lost a child. In fact, it was eight years ago today that Stella was taken from us, little Stella Wilkie. And that pain is still very real. It's vivid to us. Maybe you know what it's like to flunk out of medical school, to care for a special needs child. Perhaps you've struggled with infertility. Perhaps you know the struggle of being unemployed or being in financial crisis. Perhaps you felt the pain of divorce or abandonment. And perhaps the God of all comfort has helped you walk through that. And as a result, the comfort that he has given to you, you can offer in specific and tangible ways to other people. And the reality is when you have walked that path before, when you've been down that road, it means a hundred, if not a thousand times more to the individual that's just now experiencing it. I remember when Elizabeth and I met another Alexander disease family for the first time, and there was this instant connection. For the first time, we felt like somebody understood what we were going through. Have you had a similar experience? And it's in our pain, it's in our heartache, in our struggles that we're driven to our knees. That we search the scriptures for answers, for promises, for hope, for reassurance. And oftentimes it's in those darkest moments that God speaks most audibly to us. The God of all comfort comforts us in our tribulation. And then down the road, days later, weeks, months, years later, I believe he gives us opportunities to comfort others with the grace and the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. I don't believe God ever wastes our pain. So a little later, Paul gets even more specific. I'm trying to put the text on the screen as I jump around because I don't want you to get lost. But now we're in verse 8, same chapter. And we read there, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. I mean, it became so bad. Paul is despairing even life. 
Paul does not present some theological speculation divorced from his own real life experience, but gives a recent example of his experience of affliction and God's comfort. Here, the man of God used so mightily is despairing even of life. He wasn't sure he would make it through. Perhaps it was riots or fatal illness or imprisonment, a life-threatening experience, persecution, depression. We do not know, but we know it got so bad that Paul was despairing life. But notice that God still held him together. Verse 9, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul is saying, I'm not despairing of life. I learned to trust in God. And he showed me his remarkable power, the same power he used to raise his son, Jesus, from the grave. Isn't that what it says? Who raises the dead. What an amazing perspective on his own suffering, on his own pain. And a few chapters later, he continues on in the same vein. Turn with me, if you will, still in 2 Corinthians to chapter 4, a few pages over. Chapter 4, beginning verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, and I'm reading, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. I mean, you leave out all the triumph and here's what Paul faced. He says, I was hard pressed. I was perplexed. I was persecuted. I was struck down. I mean, that was his life in a nutshell. That was his lot, if you will. But despite all of that, he says, we're not in despair. We're not forsaken. We're not destroyed, but rather preserved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We're not cast down that Christ may be glorified. But is Paul in there? No, flip over to chapter 6, verse 4. Still in 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 4. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. As if that isn't enough, continue over to chapter 11, verse 23. I love to hear your Bibles and your pages turning. 2 Corinthians 11, now verse 23, it says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, and laborers more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Here Paul is telling us, as he developed his theology, he has tried again and again and again in this crucible of suffering that he knew firsthand. He knew what it was like to be misunderstood, to be mistreated or forsaken or forgotten, abused, maligned, shipwrecked, attacked, starved, imprisoned, and left for dead. Paul knew all about those things. But what's amazing to me is that we don't find Paul boasting and his remarkable grit or his ability to face enormous odds with unflinching courage, physical stamina, or emotional stability. But rather, he boasts 
of his own weakness. I mean, read verse 30 here. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The New Revised Standard Version says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. When's the last time you boasted in your weakness? Honey, I have something to tell you. You already knows. I mean, this isn't something that we see today in 2019, is it? Nobody ever boasts of their weakness. Social media is filled with just the opposite. I just did this amazing thing. My spouse is the most incredible. I just got a new job. Look at my new house, my new toy, my vacation. Do you see how in shape I am? Yay me! I don't see people taking pictures of their broken down car, their love handles, their two-week notice slip. That's precisely what Paul does. He boasts in his weaknesses, not supposed weaknesses. Well, I only got 99 out of 100. Shucks. Hashtag fail. No, he's real with the changes, or sorry, challenges, I should say, in his life. And how can he boast and glory in his weaknesses, you may ask? The answer, I think, comes in the same letter to the Corinthians in chapter 12. You may not even have to turn the page. Chapter 12, beginning verse 1. My Bible reads, it is doubtless. Another translation of that is, it is necessary, not profitable for me to boast. Maybe the wording's a little confusing. Other translations, I think, say it more clearly. Basically, he's saying boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. So let me go on to talk about visions and revelations of the Lord. Verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago... Pause again. I know a man. Commentators agree that Paul is speaking of himself. How do we know that? Well, first off, the fact that this reference to visions is in the midst of an account of events connected with his own life and ministry gives us a bit of a clue. Secondly, the fact that in verse 7, he designates these visions and revelations as made directly to himself. That's another clue. And so here, Paul, everyone agrees, is using the third person in order to avoid the appearance of boasting. So he's referring to himself. And so it says, verse 2, I know a man, he's speaking of himself, in Christ, who 14 years ago. When would that have been? The date of this epistle is about 57 AD. I won't get into how they, they figure all that together. But 14 years previous would have been about the same time that Barnabas brought Paul to Antioch. That's what we talked about last time. And so now we're going to read it one more time. Verse 2, and I know a man, this is Paul, in Christ who 14 years ago when Barnabas came to get me, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. What is he talking about? Well, he's given revelations, he's given visions, and this whole part about in the body, out of the body. This is not talking about what happens to you when you die. Paul is in vision and he's in the presence of the Lord. But Paul himself is unclear. What is this that's going on? Am I physically in God's presence? Am I somehow mentally in God's presence in a dream type state? And at the end of it all, he says, I don't know. But he mentions this third heaven. Later in verse four, he calls this paradise. The idea in his time, first heaven of scripture is the atmosphere. The second is the stars. The third is the abode of God and the heavenly beings. He's telling us, I was in the presence of God Almighty. In what form, in what shape, how I got there, I don't know, but I was there. And so Paul is merely saying, I was caught up to the presence of God. Verse three, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Not lawful. Literally, either it's not permitted we have examples of that in Revelation with the thunders. What are they? We don't know. He's not permitted. Or it's just simply not possible. 
I mean, if you're in the presence of God and you see these things unfold before your eyes, how do you describe them? How do you put them on paper? How do you communicate them? And so Paul is describing being in the presence of the Lord, receiving profound and wonderful truths that were not permitted or perhaps too deep for human expression. Think about that for a moment. What would be the most natural human response to be given an experience such as what he's describing? And a personal audience with the God of the universe. In one word, I would say pride. Enormous pride. Maybe not at first. At first you feel your smallness in the presence of a holy God. But as time passes, have you had that experience? How about you? Anybody on this side? Oh, it was just me. Let me tell you all about it. And as time goes on, and as people marvel, this is incredible. Share it again. Tell us more. What else did he reveal? I imagine spiritual pride could grow. And perhaps that's why, in God's grace, he allows this painful affliction that Paul will soon speak of as the thorn in the flesh. You know, looking at this passage, I cannot help but think of another prophet of God who also was given incredible insight and saw incredible things. And coming out of visions, he would just say, oh, it's so dark, it's so dark, it's so dark. I don't want to come back here. I've seen a better land. Who also was plagued her entire life with various health ailments that on many occasions almost took her life. Incredible privilege, yet incredibly humble. So skipping to verse 7, Paul speaking, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Here God allowed this thorn to plague Paul, to remind him constantly, daily, of his human frailties. Keep him humble, trusting not himself, but in God. And so this thorn is allowed, this scaloops is the word, which really is the word for a sharpened metal spear or stake, if you will, that was a torture device to actually drive through an individual and stake them to the ground, not in a way to kill them, but to cause incredible pain and lay them writhing there on the ground. This is the word Paul uses, not just a scratch. And there's much speculation on what the thorn was. And we could get into that, but... I don't want to take that time this morning. I personally think he probably had bad eyesight. There's places that he refers to that and other places that could have caused severe migraine headaches, but it could have been any number of things. And I, just like you, am very curious to find out. Some speculate that it was some kind of a, a sin in his life. I would disagree with that. I think it was an ailment or something that was just hindering, but it was not going anywhere. It was continuing to be that thorn, if you will. But truly, at the end of the day, what that was doesn't so much matter. And if God wanted us to know, he would have told us. But Paul called it a messenger from Satan to buffet me, literally to slap me in the face. It was the devil's means to discourage Paul, to tear him down, to try to defeat him, to overthrow his influence and effectiveness, to create a roadblock, and to discourage and malign the messenger of God. I was just talking to Uncle Jimmy last night. And he says, I'm so glad we have this great controversy idea as Seventh-day Adventists, the truth about the great controversy. He says, it makes all these things so much easier to, to go through in the process, to understand that there is a Satan, that there is a God, that they are at war with one another, and this is just playing out. But someday, God has the last word. In many respects, God's hands are tied for now, but the time is coming, friends. 
when all will be seen and revealed for what it is. Yet in Paul's situation, and maybe in yours too, God allowed it to keep the gifted servant on his knees. And the reality of the fact is that's not a bad place to be. I mean, sailors know that when a storm comes up, you secure yourself to anything sturdy that you can. You learn to cling to what is secure in a storm. And that's exactly what the storms in our life do. Continuing on, verse 8, still in chapter 12. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Three times he pled that the Lord would take it away. In a similar fashion, three times Jesus pleaded, if there is any other way. And he said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. The reality of Paul's request? No, that was God's final answer. At least no on this side of eternity. And the challenge that we have to struggle with at times is that it's not always God's will that you be healed. Eventually, yes. But right now, not always. It's not always the Father's plan to relieve you from your pain. His answer is not always what we prayed for or hoped for or wanted. God's goal is not to make sure you're happy. Life is not about your being comfortable, your happiness, being successful, being pain-free. We've said it before, if that was the case, the most selfish people on the planet would be Christian. No, he's got a bigger agenda. It's about you becoming a man or woman of God, the man or woman that he's called you to be. Yes, I believe God's more concerned that we are more like him rather than we be comfortable. We see the now. He sees the eternity. Would you rather be comfortable now or comfortable for eternity? I mean, really. And the other thing that we need to realize is that very glaring, simple fact that life is not about you. And it's not about me. It's about God. And in fact, this series is really not about Paul. It's about God. His letters are not about him and his trials. It's about God in the midst of his trials in this fallen and broken world that we find ourselves in. Yet in this journey, in this process, he uses these things to make us more like Jesus. And so at times, God simply whispers, my grace is sufficient for you. And friends, let me just remind you, his grace is more sufficient than our strength. His grace is more sufficient than any advice, any medical care, any perceived solution. His grace is sufficient to carry you through whatever our own unique thorn may be. Do you believe that this morning? And why? Well, it tells us in the verse, because his power is made perfect in weakness. And all this time we bought into the world's lie. We thought power was made perfect through success. We thought power was made perfect through achievement. We thought power was made perfect through accolades and applause. No, those things merely make us proud, self-sufficient, and independent. Rather, it's the painful thorn that makes us weak. But the good news is that when we are weak, he pours his strength into us, which would give us an entirely new perspective on pain and suffering, a new perspective on hardship and on pressure, because those stresses and strains drive us to our knees. That is the point, I'm trying to say. And it's then, at that moment, when we are on our knees, that God comes through. Another trap we fall into, if I can just find somebody else to blame, something else to blame. I know whose fault it is, and I'm going to rehearse it again and again and again. But friends, suffering's not about identifying the cause. It's about focusing on the response. 
And don't miss that. It's about willingly accepting God's plan no matter what the circumstances. And it's about finding contentment in God's grace regardless. And Paul finally gets that. And he lives it. Finishing the second part of verse 9 here, it says, Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating God's gift. And the weaker he got, the stronger he became in Christ. He stopped asking, why is this happening to me? And started asking, how should I respond? What does my next step look like? What should my attitude be? You see, when we boast of our strengths, we get the credit. But when we boast in what he is doing, in the midst of our brokenness and inability and inadequacy, Christ comes to the front. His strength comes to our rescue. So the very things we dread and that we run from is precisely what brought contentment to Paul. Did you hear that right? The very things we dread and run from is precisely what brought contentment to Paul. Look at the list in verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Therefore, I take pleasure, he says. Your translation might say, I delight. The New Revised Standard Version says, I am content, or I am content. So let's read it that way. I am content when I'm weak. I'm content with insults. I'm content when I'm slandered. I'm content in distresses. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with difficulties. I'm content with pressures so tight I can hardly turn around. Why? Because when I am weak, then I'm strong. What a way to live your life. Content in everything. I mean, this makes no sense. But at the same time, it makes perfect sense. Knowing that divine strength comes when human weakness is evident. So we need to get rid of this idea that contentment requires comfort. Because the reality is contentment is possible no matter how dire your circumstances. If you don't believe me, you need to go to a third world country. They have nothing, dirt floors, they're playing with scraps of whatever they can find and they're smiling and giggling and happy the whole time. Not, no shoes have ever touched their feet, but they're content. You come back to the United States, we have everything you can possibly imagine. More gadgets and gizmos and things and garage door openers and we're upset, we're frustrated and we're angry. Don't tell me you have to have it all to be content. Which allowed Paul, years later while on death row, to pen these words. And this one's in Philippians, so I just put it on the screen for you. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Thank you, Shane, for reading that for us. It's a verse you know well. He writes, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. That's phenomenal. And it doesn't come automatic. He says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And whether you're in need or whether you have plenty, you can be discontented. But he says, I've learned how to be content. I've learned the secret, he says, of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through, through him who gives me strength. And did you catch it? The secret to Paul's contentment was knowing that Christ's strength was made perfect in weakness. He got it. I'm still trying to get it, but he got it. And how life-changing that little paradigm shift can be in our lives. In fact, it's not just life-changing, it's liberating. This concept 
I don't have to achieve this and this. It doesn't have to be perfection in all these areas. I just have to show my weakness to be on my knees when Jesus can pour out his power upon me. I can be content no matter the circumstance. I've learned the secret, Paul says. And so today God wants that same biblical principle to be life-changing and liberating for us. In the midst of the thorns of our lives, and they're real. They can be excruciating. They can be torturous. But even in the midst of those experiences, we can say with Paul, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, David and Dick and Bert, Bryce, whomever. My grace is sufficient for you. Our high calling, 317, prophet of God says this, God adapts his grace to the peculiarities of each I think it's supposed to be one's necessities. My grace is sufficient for thee. As your burden grows heavier, look up and by faith cling more firmly to the hand of Jesus, your mighty helper. As difficulties thicken about his people amid the perils of the last days, he sends his angels to walk all the way by our side, drawing us closer and still closer to the bleeding side of Jesus. And if you look to Jesus, if you believe in him as your personal savior, you will be brought through every trial. Say, where did you find that quotation, Pastor Wright? My sister-in-law, Catherine, sent it to me this week. Here's a poem by an unknown Civil War soldier. No name attached to me. He says, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might endure all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered, and I am among all men most richly blessed. What is the secret to contentment? The world says it's health, wealth, riches, success, but the reality is the secret to contentment is knowing his grace is sufficient. The secret to contentment is knowing Christ's strength is made perfect in weakness. And when we get that, it liberates us. It empowers us. It encourages us and enables us to truly be content in everything. Is somebody weak here this morning? If so, lean on Jesus and allow him to be your strength. Because he promises to bring you through every trial. He won't bring anything to you that you cannot bear with his help. I can do all things, Paul wrote, through Christ who gives me strength. The well-known hymn, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when times are good, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, I am content in my soul. Help us to be content in all things, recognizing that when we are weak, we are strong in Jesus Christ. Help us to see our need. Drive us to our knees that despite all the things we ask for, our unanswered prayers can be answered as we find all our sufficiency is in Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.